Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Brainwaves. Hear the world differently. Bringing community mental health to you, raising awareness and challenging stigma. Tune in to 3CR Community Radio, Wednesdays at 5pm. Melbourne's Drive Time Radio Program, featuring community organisations, powerful stories and information. Find us at brainwaves.org.au. Proudly sponsored by Wellways Australia. Welcome to Brainwaves on 3CR 855am, 3CR Digital Radio and 3cr.org.au. My name is Kaylin and from the Brainwaves team today we have Terry. Um, But before I introduce today's guest, um, I'd just like to begin by acknowledging and paying my respects to the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, uh, the traditional custodians of the land on which I'm coming to you from today. I would also like to pay my respects to their elders past and present um, and acknowledge um, all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders who may be listening into Brainwaves today. Um, Now, today's show is part two of our three-part series on perinatal mental health. Last week, um, we talked with Anita, who shared her inspirational story of hope about her journey into motherhood with a history of complex mental health challenges. Um, And many women in Australia experience some form of mental health challenges during their perinatal period. Uh, And during this perinatal mental health series, we will talk to uh, three different mums about their lived experience uh, and journey into motherhood. With mental health challenges, some prior to becoming a parent and some who have developed mental health challenges during their perinatal period. Um, Our three guests range in age and experience and the stories that they have to share are beautiful, raw and empowering. Um, If you missed last week's show, I shall include a link to the previous podcast in today's show notes. Otherwise, uh, go to our Brainwaves page at www.3cr.org.au. For our second show of the series today, we'll be speaking with Bernadette. Bernadette uh, had her only child at 39, with most of her life feeling reluctant to have children due to her parents' mental health issues. Bernadette believes that due to her um, chaotic, dysfunctional upbringing, where strict adherence to a Roman Catholic doctrine meant that her and her family of six siblings grew up in borderline poverty. Bernadette thus doubted her ability to effectively parent and especially after a bipolar 1 diagnosis at age 31. A loving and supporting partner was one one key to her embracing motherhood. Now before we get started, I'd like to let our listeners know that uh, there may be some distressing content today relating to mental health challenges surrounding parenting. So if you do find any of today's show upsetting or you would like to speak to someone about your own experiences, please contact Panda on 1300 726 306. Okay, welcome to the show, Bernie. Wonderful to have you here. Thank you. Uh, Now, can you tell me a little bit about your history with serious mental health challenges? Okay, Um, when I was 10 years old, nine years old, I had what I now know was a nervous breakdown. I had been skipping school and um, basically truanting and, you know, just hanging around, but truanting from school. uh, And my 
mother had had another child, the sixth child, and my father was still working, but I think, I don't know, whether he must have still been drinking quite heavily. He's an alcoholic. And anyway, as a result of that breakdown, I was sent to Mount Gambia to live with my um, aunt and uncle and their two children uh, for about six months. And during that time, I saw a psychiatrist at the, at the um, base hospital there. Um, and that happened because the psychiatrist in Adelaide wanted to put me in um, a, a ward of a mental hospital. And my mother just basically pushed and pushed and pushed and everything so that that didn't happen. So that was probably my first the knowledgeable thing. Um, and I came back and I, I, there were some sort of drugs I was on. I can't remember what they were. Um, and then when I was a teenager, I had a, a prolonged depression. Um, and um, I, the interesting thing is that I managed to keep very good grades all the way through university, through school, even though I was unwell. Um, but, and I can't recall what sort of treatment I had, if anything, but I recall as uh, upper primary being given some sort of drugs and sitting there in school fighting the effect of the drug, which oh. is a bit kind of interesting. So when you think about it, there's a thing called, I suppose, that's a plausible deniability or willful ignorance where when I eventually fell pregnant, it hadn't really occurred to me that I might have problems. So, yeah, as a result of previous mental illness stuff, yeah. Right. Okay. So it wasn't there. It wasn't on your landscape. Well, okay, my mental health, but more so that of my mother um, who had bipolar disorder, but it wasn't, well, it was sort of... It was called manic depression back then and it was eventually um, she was stabilised but not until I was 12 years old. Uh -huh. um, and so as a child, I saw my mother go into hospital after having a child, after having postnatal psychosis for right. anything up to three months Whoa. and we would be with relatives. And where are and you in the birth order, Bernie? First. I'm number one. Oh, so after yes, they didn't put school... Six more pregnancies. Yes. Ooh. Yeah. So, so basically, and then the other thing that happened as a, as a child was seeing my father in a mental hospital for drying out. So we would go and visit him. And I remember the, the, the aviary and stuff like that. So, I mean, my what? Was that? there Sorry? was an aviary at the oh. uh, mental hospital, Hillcrest Mental Hospital. It was beautiful yeah. birds in there. Anyway, um, when I did think about becoming pregnant, that wasn't until my mid-30s. And one of the reasons for the delay was I honestly felt that I wouldn't be an okay parent as a result of my parents' problems. Um, and that I was a little bit scared and thinking it's all, all sounds like hard work, which I discovered when I had Eleanor that it is hard work. But anyway, uh, so, so that's sort of, I suppose. So, and then in my late 30s, I had an animal companion that died and I was so distraught as a result of that. It occurred to me that maybe I needed to give love to something for more than a couple of years, you know, that maybe having a child might work. Uh-huh. So, there we go. Thank you. Very, very interesting. Uh, Bernie and I have known each other since our early 20s, so I'm... I'm getting a lot more information about you, um, despite us having quite an extensive history together. 
So when you became pregnant, did you worry about your previous mental health challenges that they might impact the pregnancy, the birth and beyond the birth? Okay. I'm, I don't have any um, actual evidence for this, but anecdotal evidence is that some people when they're pregnant have fantastic pregnancies. Yes. And in my case, I think those, those feel-good hormones kicked in very early. Yep. Um, and as far from a couple of physical things, um, I had a dream pregnancy. No, you know, and in fact, I had lots of energy. I looked terrific, la, la, la. So, yep. again, that willful um, denial, um, it had just it had been pushed way out into the distance that there could be yep. any problem. Yeah. Yep. So what about, so the willful denial. It's interesting. You, you've got a wonderful way with words, Bernie, as I was mentioning earlier today. Um, so you didn't really think about the birth and beyond a whole lot. You felt no. marvellous and so everything was fine. Yep. That was how it was. Okay, thank yes. you. I know you have only your experience to go on, given uh, Eleanor was your only pregnancy. Uh, do you think, looking back, that the severity of your mental health challenges, starting, you know, say, 9 and 10, impacted greatly on your pregnancy, the birth, and thereafter? Okay, on reflection, and with a fair amount of time that's gone yes. past, um, what hasn't been said now was that I was eventually diagnosed with bipolar disorder in 1989 right. and um, in Melbourne. How old were you then? Yeah, uh, 31. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I had come back from um, a posting in Japan Yep. where I had had a, a depression that had lasted 18 months to almost two years and right. I was still depressed when I came back. And, you know, you understand how it is with women. When you get to be age 30, you know, if you're not already a breeder, you've got children, then you're meant to be the CEO of a company or something in artistic, you know, you're meant to have really achieved big time by the time you get to be 30. So here I was. That sounds very black and white. I'm not, yes. I don't think that's true okay. of all women but yeah. I understand what you but that was like. how I was feeling about things right yep. so um yeah so when I fell pregnant uh, one of the first things that happened was that I was taken off the lithium carbonate that yep. I still take yeah um, because it it really does interfere with the, the the growth of the fetus so I suspect what happened during a pregnancy apart from the feel-good hormones was that yep. I was actually quite manic so I was quite high. So you were you didn't have the lithium sort of maybe right. yeah. keeping you in a, a more average window yeah. of tolerance. So I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Do you feel like you needed to be more hypervigilant than say if you hadn't had a lived experience with mental health issues in terms of having a baby and parenting? Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay. My daughter, who is now living overseas, yeah. um, developed anorexia nervosa at age 13, 14. And um, it wasn't until later that we realised that there was a potential predisposition for something to happen as a result of my mental illness. And no um, medical help that you'd had to help you, mm. none of them gave you any information about that possibility? No, no, nothing, nothing, nothing at all. 
Yeah, and I think the being vigilant was, I suppose, being aware that, well, after the whole birth and business, and I ended up with postnatal depression after that as well, I was able to source help and I was willing to source help. And I suspect that's something that because of my experience of mental illness in the family and with myself, yep. I was aware that these things are possible. You can do it. There's no shame attached. La la. Fantastic. So you knew you could reach out. Yeah. And was it just a postnatal depression or was it a more com a complicated picture for you? Um, well, basically after the immediately after the birth, like for maybe a week, it was yep. postnatal psychosis. And then as that was being treated, the postnatal depression kicked in. However, yep. that was ameliorated by being placed on lithium. And the small anecdote is that in the private um, hospital that I was at, which no longer exists, but it was terrific, the Melbourne Clinic. Um, oh, I've been at the Melbourne Clinic. Yeah. It still, it's still operates. Oh, okay. Well, it doesn't have a mother. It had a mother-baby unit. Oh, right. One of you. these um, people, uh, the psychiatrist, the young issue is in his late 30s, I suppose, yeah. um, said to me, he said, now... We know that lithium works for you, and we, but you can't breastfeed with lithium. Yeah. You can be on this other drug called Zoloft. Now, we don't know whether that's going to work for you or not, but you would be able to breastfeed. Now, I'm sitting there with holding out my um, top so that nothing touches my boobs because I've got grey nipples, and I've been, um, what do they call it, um, expressing milk, uh, and then ending up with mastitis and, and the whole uh, cabbage leaves and everything. Um, okay, water, I haven't had a pregnancy. What's cabbage well, leaves? Cabbage leaves help um, reduce the swelling that, that comes with uh, when your breasts become engorged. Yep. So I'm sitting there and he's saying that, and I said, look, it's straight in there. I said, lithium, please. <laughs> you hand me the bottle. I'm going to bottle feed my baby. We were all bottle fed. We survived. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. And to me, that was, even at that point, was a little bit of a, um, an advance because I had enough to be able to say, no, this is what's going to work for me. That yes. it might, You know, the breastfeeding is obviously the gold standard and the best thing to do, but it's not going to work in my case. Yep. Yep. And I need to do what's right for me rather than listening to the, oh, you must, you know, you must do this. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And what's right for you in the long run is actually what's right for baby too, I think. Bernie, dear, you said yes. that you had postnatal psychosis yes. uh, for the first week after you gave birth to your baby and then that seeped into depression. Can yes. you tell us the difference between the two states? Okay. Um, for my case, with the postnatal psychosis, I suspect I was still a little bit high in terms of not having um, a handle on reality. And right. sort of everything's fantastic, everything's wonderful, and it was just a very heightened sense of feeling good, a really okay. heightened sense. But when it came time to bathe the baby and stuff, I looked at this and was like, oh, what a cute little doll. Oh, how do I look after this? And part of it was like the reality of the actual being a parent was sticking in and yeah. I felt um, incapable or that, that not confident of what to do even though I, I mean I help I looked after my sisters and uh, yes. as a child but yes. I, I, I was just really very removed from that um, and 
the, so that's, I, what the, I that's how you experience the psychosis, feeling very high. Absolutely high. Now, I do know that after the baby's born, there's a, a real glow period and then there's often the three-day blues. Yeah. Um, I didn't really get the blues except my was more the terrors in terms of being frightened. Of my Part of me was thinking something's not right. I couldn't really identify exactly what wasn't right, but I knew yep. something wasn't right. And I felt very frightened at the possibility of having to take this child home with me. So is that the depression stage? Or I think the... starting to see it into it, yeah, that uh-huh. it would be that I really wouldn't be able to look after this child and, yeah. and like, I, I, don't, I don't want to be responsible. I, I, I'm not going to be able to do an okay job, that sort of thing. Now, yeah. at that point, uh, Melbourne, it turned out that one of the lactation consultants was actually the wife of one of my husband's colleagues. But anyway, she was really terrific uh, and tried to help me with the, I was having problems with um, breastfeeding even at that stage, even in the the first couple of days. But um, she understood that something wasn't right and, and listened to me. And she actually really went into bat for me to get me into a mother and baby unit. So she worked out that things aren't, aren't going to, improve yeah my obstetrician later on he's a lovely bloke i'm sure he's retired now um said that i think i, I was one of two people that he'd experienced with postnatal psychosis in the the, ten, the length of time that he'd been practicing right so we're talking hundreds and hundreds of babies and two people with so he's not very people. experienced in dealing with it well just that it, it you know they know about it from the the, the books but they don't come across it very often yeah well, so, I'm very glad that you had that um, lactation specialist. Yeah, that side. helped me. But having said that, at the time, although I was a little bit high, basically I, how can I put this? I was aware on, on some level that people weren't taking me seriously, that they wanted to say, oh, you'll be all right, it's just the baby blues, or you'll be okay, everyone's like this. And I knew, no, 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 it's not that. So I was ramping up my behaviour. So beyond what I actually felt or did. Yes. I sort of made things as though I was acting for them. So what, what sort of behaviours are we talking about? So there you are in, in your hospital bed with a mm. little babe, mm. maybe in a bassinet beside mm. you. Mm. Yeah. And I'm basically saying to them things like, well, um, when does the breastfeeding finish? And um, so um, who's, who's bathing this baby? And... Um, Who's, you know, where are the servants, basically, this sort of stuff. Yeah. Which I knew was rubbish, but I knew that if I threw that out at them, they might start taking me seriously, which is what happened. Yeah. Terrific. Well done. Uh, So a corner of your mind was actually doing what you needed to do for you and baby. For sure. Which sounds very rational, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And I I think... Yeah, I think at that point, now that I think back on it, at some little corner of my brain, I was thinking, oh, shit, this is what happened to my mother. Five out of seven pregnancies, she had postnatal psychosis. And partly because of that and partly because of the alcoholism and stuff, the doctors had said to her after baby four, we really don't think you should have any more children. And she had three more. Yeah, so... That's actually very interesting. You learned from living through those experiences. Mm. Mm. You learn to take the necessary action for you and especially your baby. 
Mm. Oh, it sounds to me, mm. you know, um, I'm very sad to hear you say, well, there were seven of us and my mother was, did you say three months in a hospital with yes. postnatal psychosis yeah. after what? Five of the seven that I'm aware of. What? Three months? So as children, we got, we got accustomed to spending some of them of uh, a year with, with Auntie X or Auntie Y. We were split up amongst the family. Yes. Um, and we, we liked it, you know. But it means that we've got a, a strong relationship with our cousins as a result. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that extended family support was there, which absolutely. is absolutely yeah. fortunate. Yeah. I would suggest from, yeah. you know, the experiences of a lot of people in tough um, birthing situations. Now, um, maybe a little bit more about what supports were available to you. Okay. Um Essentially, I got into the mother and baby unit of the Melbourne Clinic and yep. I was there two weeks, yep. maybe three, might have been three, um, and I had my own room, which was amazing. But anyway, yep. and this the support there was that they had um, a nursery for the, children, for the babies that went into at night, but during yep. the day, um, the patients looked after their own children and there'd be assistance with things like how to bathe, um, how to bottle feed properly, or if there's breastfeeding, breastfeeding, and you know yep. the other sort of things, just things to clues to pick up on. Yep. So that was that was about three weeks. When I went home, this was at Christmas, of course. When I went home, um, we organised, I think, through the hospital. I can't remember how we did this, but we had a full time nanny for a month. Yeah, things. And then after that, we've privately arranged, it turned out a friend of mine who was childcare and baby nurse trained. Yep. So she came one day a week to help me. Yeah. So they were basically the things. And um, there's the child, what is it, the child care nurse, maternal and child yes. health nurse. Yes. And I think, you know, talking about orders of Australia, they should be just handing them out to all the maternal child care nurses, what they, they do an amazing job. And this particular woman who I then discovered knows a friend of mine. But anyway, this particular woman was amazing. Even though I'd gone through the hospital and I'd had the, the um, uh, nanny and then there was a, an appointment with the my child, child care nurse. Yeah. So here am I with the baby still in the capsule, trying to get the capsule into the car, can't figure out the five-point harness. It's 35 degrees out there. And I eventually I just burst into tears took the baby back inside, of course, and rang the nurse. And she said, she was fine. She obviously hears this sort of thing all the time. And she said, no problem. Why don't you put her in the pram tomorrow and I'll, I'll see you tomorrow. And that was great. You yeah. know, none of this, oh, you're an idiot. What's the problem? That yeah. very supportive, very encouraging. Yeah. Uh, yeah, terrific. Yeah. Now, um, did you develop postnatal depression? I think you mentioned that you may have done to be honest, I don't know that I was formally diagnosed with that. Yeah. It was more that I was aware that I had lost a lot of confidence. Yeah. Um, and was a little bit frightened of things like trying to get organised to go to the supermarket. So my friend helped me do little things, and mothers will recognise this, being able to stack a pram so that you've got everything that you need on your pram and yep. you can go and you can get a certain amount of groceries just walking, you know, yeah. and, and those things. And going, being able to go out to a cafe, going to things like this, 
which yeah. I learned how to do. Yeah. yeah. And it, it sounds like you went on to the lithium very quickly. So did yes. that stabilise things? Yes. Yeah. And, and then there was an antidepressant as well. So if we consider that baby was born at the end of November, yeah. I was in hospital in December. Uh, the, the nanny was there in January. Yeah. And probably about the middle of the following year, I was feeling okay and confident in things. Good. So overall, it took about six to eight months. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's such a massive change, isn't it? It's, it's a massive challenge for anybody from what I've heard. It's a really um, massive change for the poor old father who just sits there and feels like, you know, what's happened? Like something's just flung at him. Ah, what do I do now? So, yeah. The baby or the whole scenario? The whole scenario. He kept looking for the off button for the baby. <laughs> saying, when do we take the baby back? You know? Yeah, right. <laughs> it's fine. I mean, so, like many men, once the, and he did the, the his share of nighttime, you know, cradling the baby and feeding yeah. and stuff like that. So please don't get the wrong idea there. But it was really once she started um, crawling and sitting up and being more active, then it was it, he was able to have more to do with her. Yes. Or more yeah. enjoyable time. Yeah. Well, what advice would you give other people who may sh share similarities with your story? Um, for one thing, don't just go out and get pregnant. Have a think about why you, why you might want to have a child or yeah. two. Um, and the other thing is have a health professional with whom you can discuss this or yep. if there's a, a mental health professional, you mean a, a mental health professional or someone through Beyond Blue who can who can put you onto someone to talk about, okay, what might um, safeguards might be in, in force during a pregnancy if you're yep. off the medication, for example, yep. um, and that, um, you know, what type of have have a you know a scenario that you may not need but an idea of where you might go so that you're not left in a position of feeling stranded and feeling frightened and feeling isolated which is you know it's tough enough as it is with a young baby with the physical and emotional um, demands without feeling that you know you're on a little life raft out in the middle of the sea with no help yeah yeah so I'm hearing that's your response with hindsight because it didn't sound like you were you accessing help during your pregnancy from mental health professional help oh yes yeah i was oh, right. saying my mental health professional sure oh, yeah. Yeah. and yeah. you know i think he was a bit astounded as to how happy i was in fact he came and visited me in the hospital but that's okay but i think the other thing i will try and hopefully close on this to say that because you've had mental health issues, it depends on what type of things. For example, I regard that I got off pretty lightly. Bipolar disorder that I have is a type that when you get manic, it's almost like how other people are having a good mood. It's not necessarily going crazy manic, right? Yeah. So I was very, you know, in, in a foot posi good position, if you like. But yeah. I will say that, look, excess, if you're thinking about having children, just put some um, support mechanisms in process and you'll you will you know you, you people are stronger than they think and you, you'll probably have a terrific time and by the time the child's in school you'll think what was that all about you know mm. yeah fantastic thanks so much Bernie you're very welcome mm.
Thanks, Bernadette, for coming on the show today and sharing your knowledge and insight with our listeners. Um, I have no doubt that everyone would have found something inspirational in today's show and extremely beneficial to them on some level. Uh, Once again, if you did find anything about today's show distressing in any way, um, or you'd like to talk to someone about your own experiences with perinatal mental health challenges, you can call Panda on 1300 726 306. You can find more of our shows at our website, brainwaves.org.au or on the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au. You can also find our podcasts on Spotify or wherever you download your 3CR podcasts and If you have a story that you'd like to share with us or if you'd like to send us some feedback um, on this series or any other show that we're doing, um, please know that you can email us at brainwaves at wellways.org. Thanks again, everyone, for listening today. Um, Please stay safe and we will be back next Wednesday at 5pm for another episode of Brainwaves uh, on 3CR. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.